Welcome to this special series of Moneyball Medicine focused on AI, machine learning, and analytics applied to drug discovery and development. This special series was recorded as part of the AI Applications Summit produced by Corey Lane Partners. I'm your host, Harry Glorikian. In this series, I will interview different speakers from the event and we will hear their experiences. We will dive into the challenges and opportunities they're facing and their predictions for the years to come. Welcome to Moneyball Medicine. My next guest is Tom Davenport. He is the President's Distinguished Professor of Information Technology and Management at Babson College, the co-founder of the International Institute for Analytics, a fellow of the MIT Initiative for the Digital Economy, and a senior advisor to Deloitte Analytics. He has written or edited 20 books and over 250 print or digital articles for Harvard Business Review, Sloan Management Review, The Financial Times, and many other publications. He earned his PhD from Harvard University and has taught at the Harvard Business School, the University of Chicago, the Tuck School of Business, Boston University, and the University of Texas at Austin. One of HBR's most frequently published authors, Tom has been at the forefront of the process innovation, knowledge management, and analytics and big data movements. He pioneered the concept on competing on analytics with his 2006 Harvard Business Review article and his 2007 book by the same name. Since then, he has continued to provide cutting-edge insights on how companies can use analytics and big data to their advantage, and then on artificial intelligence. Tom's book, co-authored with Julia Kirby, Only Humans Need Apply, Winners and Losers in the Age of Smart Machines, offers tangible tools for individuals who need to work with cognitive technologies. In his latest book, The AI Advantage, How to Put the Artificial Intelligence Revolution to Work, he provides a guide to using artificial intelligence technologies in business. Tom, welcome to the show. Happy to be here. Thanks, Harry. Well, it was great to see you at the, the recent AI Biopharma conference a few weeks ago. I, I could see you intently sort of listening to all the different uh, you know discussions going on about how AI was being used in machine learning and where it was being used uh, you know within the life sciences or pharma, I should say. And you know this show is is generally bent towards healthcare and life sciences. And so I love it if you could take your vast experience across different industries and see if you could, bend towards uh, our world of healthcare and life sciences when uh, when we're interacting on this, because I'm sure you can talk about this world from, from multiple angles. Yeah, sure. I'm happy to. I do a, a fair amount of work with providers and payers in healthcare, a little bit less with life sciences. And most of the life sciences work I've done has been with commercial analytics groups within pharma companies. but um, you know, I kind of dabble in some of the other areas too. Well, it's interesting because I, you know, I've always looked at this capability as a tool, and it, and you know, I guess it depends on you know if it's a wrench, it's a screwdriver, it's a hammer, but it can be used in a lot of different ways, and some of them, you know, have have significant overlaps. So, you know, you are known widely in the field for your work on analytics. 
you know, if you were to try to summarize some key takeaways for people in the healthcare world, what, how would you how would you summarize that? Well, um, you know, it's interesting. I teach every year a course at the Harvard School of Public Health on analytics and AI in healthcare. And, um, you know, despite all the changes in technology, um, my presentation doesn't change all that terribly much because in terms of day-to-day clinical practice, there haven't been that many changes. I think um, this is a period of lots of uh, opportunity to use new technologies to change healthcare, and God knows we need it. Uh, from a you know value for um, expense standpoint, but we're not really at the point in on the at least on the clinical side yet where we see a lot of uh, direct application. You know, we're still in the kind of um, age of compiling transaction data, mostly from you know electronic medical record systems. We haven't used it much yet to make decisions and take actions. In your book, you describe, you know, let's say the workplace of the future that will be augmented by the introduction of AI and machine learning. You know, can you describe where where you see this happening today? Um, You know, maybe some examples of, of where that would be and where you see the most significant areas of disruption by this technology? Yeah, I mean, um, as I said, I think we're poised on the edge. Certainly in life sciences, you have um, a number of mostly startups. I mean, you know more about this than I do, Harry, but um, (laughs) mostly startups who are really trying to reinvent the whole process of identifying um, potentially useful molecules with um, AI and machine learning. Um, In... Um, the provider and payer context, I think there are certainly startups. I was actually just talking with a West Coast startup that is um, trying to pull together all the different types of data about patient care, um, EHR data and um, data from outside of a hospital by a, you know, individual um, a physician's office or by a clinic, um, add that to social determinant data, um, maybe even data from uh, different lab systems and so on, maybe from your fitness tracker, and then start to make insight-based um, recommendations for what a clinician should do. You know, what are the key care gaps and um, uh, what are the primary issues um, with this particular patient. Um, we don't have that now, but um, this company is creating it and they, you know, they have 35 customers or so on, so they're starting. But it's a really big task to integrate all of that information and kind of change the, the way clinicians do their work. Um, so. I think it's it's going to be an interesting period, but one that's going to take uh, quite a long time to to settle out. You also see a lot happening in the um, in the imaging space with um, radiology imaging, pathology imaging done um, 
increasingly well by deep learning algorithms so that um, uh, a radiologist or a pathologist could at least get a second set of eyes and you know perhaps even get to the point where um, it's the only set of eyes but um, again that's not in clinical practice yet it's still in the research laboratory and my sources um, in radiology tell me you know, it might be a decade before we see much clinical use of this stuff. There are just so many obstacles to overcome in terms of regulatory approvals and getting you know, a, a useful in inventory of use cases, um, addressing similar things. You know, all the different uh, radiology pilots address different aspects of radiology. For some, it's, you know, what's the size of the lesion, the lesions, for some it's the, you know, the, the cell structure, et cetera. So a practicing radiologist would need a kind of a, a standard set of things to work off of. Well, let's, let's take a step back here and think about this because you were saying providers and payers, and I think that they're probably almost keenly focus on business processes or places that would make a difference in, in how their operations run? Or um, where have you seen, you know, the questions or the changes happening on that front? Well, I, you know, I think the biggest changes are in um, the institutions uh, that have more data um, those tend to be combined provider-payer organizations like Kaiser and Geisinger and so on. Um, and they um, absorb the, the risk of care, so they need to make informed decisions about it and are you know, more focused um, on treating uh, the entire patient and keeping the patient um, as well as possible, rather than addressing, you know, particular um, diseases that, that the patient may um, uh, come across. So um, I think those are the places where you see most of the change. And even there, it's still early days, but it's far ahead of the only provider, only, only payer kinds of um, organizations. But it's interesting, right? I mean, I think... We may say that it's it's a long way off, but I do believe that if you're not starting to do it now, you're going to be you're going to be way behind the curve, from what I I can tell. I was talking to somebody the other day who was saying, um, and this is in astrophysics actually, where they were saying two different groups, same set of data, same group of incredibly smart people. Um, one uses the tools. One decided to do it the old-fashioned way. And the one that did it the old-fashioned way just couldn't produce the same results and couldn't keep up. And now they're playing catch-up, and it's, it seems like they're never going to catch up at this, at this point. Uh, I certainly agree. And, you know, I say in my work with companies in general that this is not an area where it's probably going to be successful to take a fast follower sort of strategy because it requires, you know, so much data and so much learning and so much um, uh, trial and error over time that it's going to be really, really hard to catch up if you're not uh, being aggressive now. Um, now, you know, in pharma, my sense is that's um, a little bit different because there's so much acquisition going on. And uh, 
companies that figure out great ways to do this, um, I think are likely to be acquired by larger firms. I mean, you see this already with um, Flatiron and, and Foundation Medicine being at least partially acquired by Roche. Um, they, those, I think, were among the more aggressive users of AI and analytics um, for um, cancer care. And um, you don't see that as much in provider and payer side. I think you have to build it more organically as opposed to buying it. Well, it's interesting. I must expect disruption to come from outside um, rather than within sometimes. Uh, you know, if you, if you look at what's happening from a value-based perspective where the Walmarts and the CVSs and those people are, are trying to change where you might get care um, and how they inter- interact with the populace, I'm, I think we're going to see an interesting shift from sick care to wellness care. And when you have that sort of shift, I think the dynamics of the competitive environment change. I think that's true, and you certainly also see it on the part of the Amazons and the Googles of the world. And obviously, those companies are uh, much more aggressive in terms of their use of AI and data and analytics than um, most companies and uh, organizations in healthcare and life sciences. And so, if they do decide that they're going to enter headlong into these fields, I mean, now they're kind of sticking a toe in, but if they do decide to uh, address it more directly, I think it's going to be quite scary for um, all of the existing players. If you were to sort of, you know, give somebody advice, like what, what, are, the, what are the essential skills that you think someone in, in the healthcare arena needs to think about relevant, you know, for the future in this AI augmented workplace? And there's probably a set of general skills, but you know there may be different skill sets for different settings that that may be needed. But if you were talking to a group of people and sort of advising them, what would you <clears throat> say to them are the important areas that they need to focus on? Well, you know, I I see a long term, particularly in the payer provider space, and I, it, um, life sciences will, will be affected by this as well. A long term trend toward rather than you know doing care and then recording it as we've done for a couple of decades now um, we are going to have systems that you know have data across a whole um, variety of uh, of health related contexts and the systems will make recommendations uh kind of um do care planning and recommended actions and so on. Um, and then, of course, you know, capture what the outcome of that is. Hopefully, they will be personalized to your um, genome and your proteome and the various other kinds of omics that might be relevant. And um, so that means, A, you have to understand all of those data domains, um, how they might be combined. You have to understand um, the fundamental approaches to AI. You know, is it going to be um, uh, traditional machine learning that does this? Is it going to be some sort of 
deep learning? Is natural language processing involved? Can we get by with rules? You know, rules have been the primary basis for care recommendations in clinical informatics now for uh, a couple of decades, but most people, and I would agree with this, seem to think that they've kind of um, topped out. There, there may be some cases where rules are still useful as well. And then start putting it together. You know, I, one of my favorite lines about AI is think big, but start small. AI is fundamentally a, you know, it's a task-related technology. AI doesn't do, you know, um, jobs or entire business processes. It does particular tasks. And so start stringing together some AI-informed uh, tasks so that you can ultimately have a transformation in, in care. Yeah, I think sometimes people, you know, I always hear people expecting AI to do everything. And I'm like, it really only needs to do a few things really well. And it can be very disruptive. Yeah, which means that you have to think pretty carefully about where do you want to apply it within your um, care process or your R&D process or, or whatever. Um, I, I think... Um, most organizations, they don't understand enough about AI to have made an intelligent decision about where do you, where do you put it? Um, you know, where do you try it out? Um, and, you know, when I think in life sciences and pharma, there, there was this initial flurry of excitement about how Watson was going to really be the key to identifying new drug um, targets and molecules. And obviously that's kind of faded. It probably set the field back uh, five, five years or so. Stepping back, you know, and because you've, you've worked across a number of different areas, is how do companies embed an AI strategy into, you know, sort of their organization or into their own DNA where they think about this not as a point change, but as a systemic change? Well, you do have um, a relatively small number of companies that have decided that AI is so important to them that they're, they're going to embed it into almost everything they do. And, um, you know, Google is probably the single best example. I think they coined the AI first term and um, they, I don't know, 2016, they had 2,700 AI applications um, underway. Um, they don't even count them anymore, but it's, it's really spread throughout the entire um, company. In healthcare, um, you know, I don't think we have any organizations that are quite that aggressive, but Anthem, the largest, I think the second largest payer in the United States has decided they are going to be AI first and they're going to, you know, focus on patient wellness and use all the AI they can to implement pieces of that capability. And um, so I, I think it really demands on the part of any of these organizations that senior executives, you know, they, they know their business, but they don't know how AI might fit into it. They don't know the different types of use cases available. They don't know what's practical now and what isn't. And so it, it really requires that all of them all of the senior leaders of the organization, I think, get an idea of what might be done with AI. 
and then maybe, as I suggested earlier, have a broader vision of when care is transformed with AI, um, what's it going to look like? What's the vision that we're, we're trying to achieve here? So maybe they, uh, I think they all need to go back to school. <laughs> yeah. Um, unfortunately, you know, there aren't that many places you can even go back to school to learn all of this in, you know, one nice package. But I think um, universities will provide it before long. And if you're really motivated now, you know, there are uh, both these sort of um, Coursera type um, offerings that you can learn a lot about AI, or, you know, you can probably hire somebody to come in and teach you about this. I've done it for a few companies, but not so much in healthcare. Yeah, it's 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 tough to find the right pieces of information depending on what you're trying to learn. If I mean if you're not going to code it but you need to manage it, it's a different different skill set or different set of information that you need to make good decisions. Yeah, you know, I was talking with this vendor and um it's hard now because the technology categories cut across things that we're traditionally, you know, familiar with. They're not just data warehouses or data lakes. They're not just AI. They're not, um, uh, you know, there is no kind of Gartner magic quadrant for all the things that are necessary to move to this kind of um, uh, data and AI-based care planning capability. It just really cuts across a lot of different categories. What are your predictions for the future of, say, I hate using the word AI because it's just one big giant umbrella of other stuff. And, you know, there's AI and machine learning, but, but all these analytic capabilities, what do you see predict for the future of its impact on, well, specifically healthcare, but, you know, even the business of healthcare, if you think about it? You know, I think the situation's going to get a little bit better in terms of, you're, you're right, we now have these relatively um, disconnected pieces, and we all we call it all AI, but it's um, different kinds of use cases and components and so on. But I think there is a move toward greater integration of those. So um, I, at the um, AI and Biopharma conference, I think you had, had to get on an airplane, but I talked about um, robotic process automation. Um, and that's a fairly boring AI <laughs> technology. Um, uh, one of the, the vendors who um, I supposedly introduced didn't think that kindly of my um, comment is the most boring form of AI, but um, it is quite useful and can save a lot of money. But it's also increasingly being combined with machine learning. So as you know, robotic process automation um, does a, a set of digital workflows, um, machine learning can be used to create um, algorithmic-based decisions along the way, not just the kind of rules, simple rules that are in an RPA system. Um, we're already seeing that um, physical ro robots are getting more AI-like brains in them so they can kind of see and perceive and, and act more intelligently. So I think all these technologies are starting to come together. My guess is, and you know, IBM Watson was a kind of an early pioneer of this, there will be all these kind of AI-based microservices and we'll 
choose from the ones we need and they'll kind of snap together pretty well. And so, you know, AI will, I think, look more like a coherent whole than the collection of misfit toys that it, that it is now. And then you have to think about, well, you know, what are we going to do with these things? And, and um, I do think that there is an awful lot of boring but useful AI stuff. I mean, if you think about um, in supply chains, whether you're talking about healthcare or life sciences or whatever, um, there's often a lot of money to be saved in matching up what was supposed to be delivered to you with what actually appeared at the loading dock. And AI is really good for at extracting information from um, one system and comparing it to another and seeing, oh, these things don't match up really well. So um, lots of opportunities in kind of, you know, contracts and um, uh, inventories and so on that um, can make a company far uh, richer if it really exploits that kind of boring stuff. Um, there is some exciting stuff as well, like, you know, developing new drugs or um, treating cancer, but um, that's going to take a long time. And um, I don't think you should count on a huge amount of financial return from any of those really ambitious kind of moonshot projects in the short run. And the, you know, the companies that the providers that tried that MD Anderson and Houston is the most prominent example really stubbed their toe and spent a huge amount of money and got relatively little to show for it 62 million I think was the final tab of their their attempt to cure cancer with Watson so you sort of touched on my my last question I mean I, I spend an awful lot of time reading, you know, everything that's coming out of the tech world, you know, new chipsets, new methods of combining analytic techniques, um, all sorts of stuff that I think will have applicability to the world of healthcare. And so if you step back for a moment, and it doesn't have to be healthcare specific, but where do you see the industry going next with the advancements that we see sort of barreling down the, you know, barreling down the highway? Well, you know, I think if we're not careful, Harry, they're going to barrel down the highway and then all get stuck at the, um, in the traffic jam of implementation. So, um, you know, you, you see lots and lots, this is across all industries, not just healthcare, but particularly true in healthcare. Um, you see lots and lots of pilots and proofs of concept and um, lab experiments and so on um, that that um, show that AI really is potentially quite useful in certain aspects of healthcare. What you don't see is clinical implementations of it yet, um, in part because of regulatory issues, in part because you know um, you didn't work carefully with the, the you know different professional associations that physicians have to to make sure they understand what's going on. So I think it's very important for any organization that wants to transform care to start at an early stage and look at that process. You know, if we're talking about life sciences, that would be, you know, working with the FDA from the beginning. You know, a lot of people say, you know, the FDA 
It's very resistant to change in um, the analytical approaches for clinical trials. And, um, you know, they don't understand some of the new technologies that are available. I think that's uh, a valid complaint, but smart um, companies in other industries are working closely with regulators at a very early stage to say, let us introduce you to some of these. Let's have a conference where academics and companies and regulators all come together and talk about this stuff. And, you know, can we get these things implemented more quickly than we might otherwise? So, you know, I think the, as you say, a lot of exciting technologies um, coming out at a very rapid rate, but we need to look at deployment um, as, a, as a really important issue. Yeah, I, I think the, the ones that are that lag on the on the deployment side. I just see some of these technologies as if if whoever gets it in and gets it right really does have a super head start. Yeah, and I think you know um, patients and physicians and so on will gravitate toward those organizations because it, these um, technologies have a huge potential to transform care. It's um, and I think, you know, um, we um, are going to probably overestimate their potential to transform in the, in the short run, but underestimate their potential in the, in the long run. They, they um, offer a huge amount of potential for um, doing things differently in this field that has, you know, largely depended upon, in many cases, um, experience and intuition, believe it or not. Um, you know, database decisions have been in short supply in, in healthcare in the past, and um, AI, analytics, big data can, can really change that situation. Well, I think it's, it's, it's typical of, of when a new technology comes along. I'm not, I, you know, I can't imagine that many people accurately, you know, figured out the disruption that an iPhone would would have or some of the other technologies that we've seen come through that have caused a sea change in in how things are done and so if i take technology shift plus how we're paying you know for care in healthcare those two shifts at the same time i think will have more of a impact than i think most people anticipate and god knows we need it <laughs> well Tom, it was great to talk to you. Um, I look forward to staying in touch. And um, I'm sure that there's another book or another article coming out soon that we all need to uh, keep our eyes and ears out for. I'm working on one. Um, maybe we'll talk about that in a, in a year or two. Okay, excellent. Thanks, Harry. Thank you. Bye-bye. And that's it for this special series of AI Machine Learning and Analytics if you enjoyed Moneyball Medicine, please head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It is greatly appreciated. Hope you join us next time. Until then, farewell.